But another criticism is that you and other public health officials were not transparent enough at points along the way about what you knew and what you didn't know about COVID. That's nonsense. (laughs) That is total nonsense that we weren't transparent about it. Democrats were shuddering privately just a few days ago about how big the margin was going to be. Republicans were predicting a red wave, but they may end up with the same slim majority Democrats have had for the last two years. We are going to take the House back. But we've got so much more to do, and I have only begun to fight. You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. Welcome back to another Ruthless Variety program. That was Anthony Fauci and his... uh, I don't know how you begin to characterize this guy in, in the way that he misrepresents history and his role in it. Yeah. But this is a guy who apparently doesn't have any problem with the transparency or level of transparency that he provided to the American public. Maybe he's talking about the fact that he was pro-mask, anti-mask, uh, pro-quarantine, anti-quarantine, like all those all those things. Like the fact that we were subjected to his inner monologue yep. for a year and a half. Maybe that's what he's talking about to justify. But now we learn things are different. What's, what's interesting is, so we've gotten revelations uh, I think it was the Wall Street Journal's original reporting that the Energy Department, and through their you know investigations and their classified documents, uh, now said that the Wuhan lab leak theory seems like that's the correct answer. It's just so is unbelievable. That this <laughs> you know, it just turns out that this thing originated right around the corner from a level five lab. <laughs> Who would have thought? Yeah, I can't believe it. Yeah, I can't believe that could possibly be true. No, it's it, it's it's hilarious uh, how he has even like after all of these years he hasn't come up with a better explanation for the mistakes that were made and like I want to give a little bit of grace to people in, in, in that earlier period. Yes, <laughs> I don't I don't in that early period of time but not but not but not him what what, 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 what I'm saying is not him because. You could look at like old. He was at this job for a long time before COVID. Oh yeah. You can pull up old video of Anthony Fauci talking about the merits of natural immunity yes. and how important that is to stop community spread. Yeah. And then lo and behold, COVID comes around and suddenly it's like no, everybody has to be jabbed every three months, every six <laughs> months <laughs> ad infinitum because this natural immunity it's going to wane and it's not going to be a value. He was saying shit like that. Like how is it that you could be years removed from from that period of time now and not have like have more thoughtful analysis but also of he your was role a part, in it? He was a part of the of the discussion where Donald Trump at one point said it's a little bit like the flu. Right. And like the the entirety of the mainstream media and everyone else jumped down his throat to say it's not like the flu it's nothing like the flu and it turns out like a coronavirus yeah small c coronavirus whether it's covid19 or covid the previous 18 uh, it's, it's pretty similar it's the flu <laughs> and you know what you get seasonal vaccine vaccinations for the flu but like the the important part is that none of that was transparent no None of that was transparent. One thing I will say is I think no one is a sharper political operative than Fauci. The way he played everyone like a fiddle. I don't, the I way don't, he, I don't agree with that. The way he manipulated the media to be on his side. He's, this is the highest paid government employee for, what, over a decade? He was the most highest paid government employee. He knew how these power structures work of, oh, I, you know, I can set these partisan figures against each other. I can turn myself into a hero. So his past, 
especially during the AIDS epidemic, like this guy was demonized for how terrible a job he'd done in the past. And he saw this as his opportunity, you know, to reinvent himself, to get the media to love him, to make it look I think like he did, Anthony I, Fauci, I think he the did greatest. A good, he did there a were good children's job. books written about this clown. I, I, I agree. He saw this as an opportunity to sort of kiss uh, his career uh, goodbye in a way. Uh, with the mainstream media, but the mainstream media was ready to tell his story. Yeah, right. He did he a did, good job of, did, of doing the easiest job, yeah, he, and that is, you know, Donald, they want to demonize Donald Trump, and he happens to be the, yeah, he happens to be the other guy. That was the good job he did, was not being Donald Trump when they all hate Donald Trump. That's the only thing they wanted was a contrast, and what I think that a guy like Fauci ha- I think is, he was very cognizant of that fact and played yeah, to yeah, it. Yeah. Well, he did, but right now, look at him, look at him spinning his wheels to try to recreate his image and manage his image. It's been created. Dude, he's he's set. Exactly. He's this set. is this is my this is my point because like some of these guys who are long term bureaucrats get this image like what he was was a foil for Donald Trump. That's what the media wanted. They don't like Republicans. They like Democrats. They wanted a foil for Trump, and the, and Fauci was the convenient guy. Now he doesn't like the way that he's being portrayed post foil post like t- time frame as being a foil for Trump. And so he's trying to manage it to make it look like, oh, you know, actually, I am a scientist. Actually, I do weigh both sides. Actually, I am transparent. And none of that is true. It doesn't seem like it's working. It, that well, piece it's, of it it's not working. It's not working because we all know Anthony Fauci's name because he was a foil for Donald Trump. It's not because he was the greatest scientist who ever lived and walked this planet. Right. I think and no, he misinterprets I, that. I, I, I think a lot of people do. I because think he the press, did a great job in, in terms of. The, the whole foundation of, of how he made himself this figure that could not be questioned, of this, like, insane dogmatic line of trust the science, how he made himself an unquestionable figure. The only right? reason he was able to do that was because he was against the media's arch enemy, our president, Donald Trump. Exactly, and he capitalized off of that. And, and he lionized himself. He turned himself into, like, oh, I trust Anthony Fauci. You know, this guy's the greatest scientist of all time. Everything he says I just don't think true. it was that difficult. I mean, look, I kind of see both sides of what you guys are talking about, but I don't think it was that difficult. I mean, when you got a president up there, it's like you got to hit the body with the violet rays inside inside the body, and you got to do all that. Like, you're somewhat coherent. An easy mark. You can walk up and, and seem very reasonable, which is what this guy did. His problem, his biggest problem in my view, was that he spoke definitively about things he didn't know. Mm-hmm. And then ultimately, almost everything that he talked about became untrue. And right? But here's the thing. He is- didn't just... But he didn't just do that, dude. He just straight up fucking lied. Well, but that's what you, I'm, you know, that's the same thing. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. the same thing. But I'm, if you if you're speaking right. with authority about stuff, an that, absolute yeah. conclusion, right. about things you don't know that, but he become he, untrue. But it wasn't just that he. It wasn't just that he didn't know. He in fact knew the opposite on things like natural immunity, and he chose to. Yeah, lie. that's fair. You see what I'm saying? That's fair. It's not just that he didn't know, and there's a lot of people who didn't know a lot of things in those early days. Fine. But yeah, number one, he spoke with absolute authority on things he couldn't possibly know then. He also spoke about authority for things that he knew to the opposite to be true. So that, I, fair I, enough. I want to I read this tweet that I think is uh, very uh, important to this point, specifically about Fauci, but in general. Uh, this is by Shant Misrobian. He says, for me, the news about the lab leak theory is just a sad reminder that it doesn't really pay to be right anymore. In our hyperpolarized environment, no one is vindicated. If you called the lab leak theory a fringe conspiracy theory and smeared people for it, you are still probably in a better p- place than the people who you smeared. 
today it's much better to have been wrong in the right way than to have been right in the wrong. Ah, yes. that is, that is it's so point. well said. And, and and that's where you get to that hive mind mentality, which is like you got to support the current thing that's because it. there is there is no retribution for people who turn out to be wrong three right. years later. So all right, so I want to, and I, I think Fauci is an animal of that creation. Yeah, of of this post truth that we now live in, where the media dictates the rules and there's no accountability for. I mean. By and large, they were so wrong about everything. The damage that they did, for example, to kids who weren't able to attend school when they were the least at-risk group, they're not apologizing. Never, they're not facing consequences I've never seen a headline in the New York Times that just says, I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> no, you're not going to either. That's the thing. So this is a good precursor to our main story that we're going to talk about from the Wall Street Journal that Smug made reference to. But we got a big show altogether. We got Steve Krakauer on the program you may know him as the executive producer of megan kelly's show he's also an author who has written an incredibly important book you'll hear from him at the end of it all on media bias which ties in perfectly 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 to the news of the day here on covid and everything else so look forward to that on the back end uh before we get into this stuff fellas i know that it's very difficult for us to get into like a post football weekend mindset mm-hmm um, I feel like I did a decent job of piecing it together this weekend. Mm. Oh yeah, yeah. And I just I'm, I'm curious from all of your your points of view, like what what was the consumption? I just like? I love football so much that I have to piece together like five other sports to derive the same level of joy. Yeah, you know. Yeah, I watched a lot of golf. Yep, watched the NASCAR. Fontana's a great great race. NASCAR was awesome. It's a great race. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> And basketball, IU beating Purdue yeah. in, oh, at Mackey. Huge, huge, huge. Big the Big win. Ten's just good at college basketball this year, man. Yeah, he's like, a Big Ten guy doing Big, get, big Ten. <laughs> I'm, just saying, I'm just saying, man. Yeah. Watch out for it in the tournament. I yeah. watched I watched XFL. And I, no, I, I did, really? I, did. I didn't know I, that. I watched the Roughnecks play the Renegades. I heard it was decent. It was Wade Phillips as yeah. the head coach versus Bob Stoops as the head coach. Oh, wow. And it was actually entertaining. Was it? These guys were not hitting their marks in the same way NFL players hit their marks, but they were playing their hearts out, and it was sort of like, yeah. you know, it was like college football on TV, and it was it was entertaining way to end Sunday night. I, I actually saw an XFL game in person a couple of years ago. You know, under their previous management, DC Defenders. Yeah, great to see. Pretty in fun, right? Well, the Tons Defenders of fun in person. The Defenders Tons are actually pretty good. Is that right? Yeah. Well, I'll be damned. It's a hell of a lot better than the Redskins. <laughs> Angry Redskin fan. Yeah. Um, I had hockey involved. Yeah, the heavily. Cap- oh yeah, the Caps were death. I had, but but I I did basically what you did, Duncan. Yeah. It was hockey, golf, basketball, NASCAR. Yeah, you got to flip around. Is, yeah. And I, I pieced it all together. To, it, it worked. It worked. It's it worked. Not, it's not easy to piece it together, though. I mean, this time of year is a really, really di- before the conference championships start in basketball. Before March Madness starts, it's a difficult time for sports. You really have to work at it. So I watched a little bit of the live, the live golf, thing. Oh, just because yeah. I want. I mean, the the you know the the guys at the top of the field in the PGA event. It was not exactly. Wasn't, a great yeah, I wasn't knocking my socks off. So I was yeah. like, so I flipped around to the live one on on CW. Um, How was it? <clears throat> they they got a lot of big names, right? <laughs> they got they got some big names. I, it's sort of it's weird. Like Phil Mickelson is is with them, right? Yes, I mean, but it's slotted so, in behind a Moesha on the CW. <laughs> yeah, but but uh, Phil really wasn't in contention, so you didn't see that many shots from him. Um, they have teams, like it's a team format, huh. which like 
you know, maybe this will happen as, as it develops and everything, but like, I don't feel any stakes in that. Uh-huh. Like, I don't care if the crushers win or the fireballs win or yeah. whatever, you know? So, but I, I mean, kind of like, are Ra- their names really that corny? Yeah, they're corny. They're <laughs> oh so God. corny. Fireballs. They got to work on that. Yeah, it's corny. It's some corny shit. A lot of money going into that league and that's the best they can come up with. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, and it's also sort of weird because uh, it was like really quiet, like not a lot of fans there. And Shouldn't they be, if you're live? Right, and you're like, all right. So our players are going to wear shorts. We're going to be like totally politically incorrect in every possible. Yeah. Did they sign Daly? No. no. Number one, they got to sign him. Mm-hmm. You hundred percent. Well, he got, should be the face. Deal. Exactly. Something. Right. They should make him like the commissioner. But like, if you're gonna <laughs> if you're gonna do all that, like, are, why wouldn't you be like the I don't know Birmingham donkey punchers? <laughs> you know what I mean? Lean yeah. into it. Lean like, into lean it. Lean into the insanity of it. It was like that. Uh, um. Uh, one tour stop in Arizona. You guys were talking about that. It's just like a rager. Oh, yeah, dude. waste management. Yeah, yeah. take that. It's Run the with best. It. Every tee box has ring girls holding up the number. The one, the, <laughs> the one thing Liv has going for it is Faraday. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, he is very. He's good. great. He's yeah, great, great announcer. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, look. I think we get there. This is going to be a work in progress, and all of you in the audience are experiencing the exact same thing that we are. In your weekend, you know, you got kids, you got whatever running around. You got to figure out how to entertain yourself nfl combines coming up that's the one thing i want to highlight on everyone's calendar yeah there you go and my team in particular is in the market for a quarterback in the market for a lot more than that (laughs) (laughs) unbelievable they're in the market for a team you know okay (laughs) can smug interest interest you in your finest i think uh, think there's a trade all right all right right. i just got to point out i got to point out for the listeners that the Colts actually but, are. No, I don't want to hear. Team. I don't want to hear it, Ashbrook. I don't want to hear it, Ashbrook. But Holmes was giving you some shade about Joe Mixon. You might be letting Joe Mixon go, and I defended Wait, is that the Bengals. True? Is that true? And I defended the Bengals. And and we got on mics, and the first thing Ashbrook does is knife me. It took. No, it took I, right I, after I, I I like the Colts. I want to see them do well. I do. No, you don't. I do. That I want to see them win. Hope. That town needs hope. Yeah, you know? I, I like the Colts. <laughs> All right, let's get to the news. This didn't go well. Um, so the news of the weekend that is driving much of the discussion here, in addition to what's happening in East Palestine, which is like a continued disaster that didn't wasn't made better, by the way. We'll get into later in the show. Uh, was a story out of the Wall Street Journal entitled Lab Leak Most Likely Origin of COVID-19 Pandemic, Energy Department Now Says. This is the Biden energy department guys yeah so the u.s department of energy has concluded the covid pandemic most likely arose from a laboratory leak according to the classified intelligence report recently provided to the white house and key members of congress the shift by the energy department which previously was undecided about how the virus emerged is a noted update to a 2021 document by the director of national intelligence avril haynes office The new report highlights how different parts of the intelligence community have arrived at disparate judgments of the pandemic's origin. The Energy Department now joins the Federal Bureau of Investigation in saying that the virus likely spread from a mishap at a Chinese laboratory. Just a a small mishap. (laughs) Small mishap that left a million Americans dead. Oh, just tens of millions around the world. God darn it, I should have shut that gate, huh? Yeah. I mean, so, but but here, it brings to mind, and Smog, I want to bring you in on this because you put on an incredible tweet strain uh, over the week, over the weekend, 
about all of the people who basically worked to try to ensure that this theory, Mm -hmm. which now a department under the Biden administration has said is accurate, they tried to work to ensure that nobody could spread that discussion. Exactly. Um, So I put this thread together, and one of the things I made sure to do was include a link to everything uh, with a screenshot. Because Because you're thorough, if nothing else. Yeah, I, I wanted everyone to see with their own eyes and also to shame these individuals, these news organizations. Uh, right off the bat, I had the Washington Post and it said, Tom Cotton keeps repeating a coronavirus conspiracy theory that was already debunked. Uh, it's interesting to note that he really took the brunt of a lot of this. Oh, he did. Like, they really went after Tom Cotton when he when he said that, well, look, you've got this lab right here. Uh, I think there's a lot of questions that need to be answered about it. And instantly, the hits that they put against him. Well, it was so, it was so amazing, if you can take yourself back in time, because I remember it like it was yesterday, mm-hmm. was that everybody was talking. First of all, everybody was nervous about this whole situation. Nobody knew exactly what it meant. And what he said is basically what Jon Stewart said weeks later. No, no. Which so is, so which Tom, is, Tom, uh, Tom Cotton said it in February of 2020. Yeah, that's what I mean. Stewart waited till a year and a half later. Well, is that, is that that's long That's how later. long. So, but once but, it was kind of okay, and yeah. you would no longer have your. Then he career. put on the clown nose, and he could say it, and everyone could have a good chuckle and Bingo. pretend like they didn't ostracize half the American people for a year and a half. Yeah, but that was what. That's their, That's his whole thing. Like John Stewart's whole fucking gimmick when it's stripped bare of all of his other bullshit. Get his ass, Duncan. No, really, yeah. really. It's it's a way of absolving liberals of all of the stuff that they've done to us. That's so true. Is he's finally allowed to tell the truth a lot later with the clown nose on. And then it's like, oh, we're all in on the joke. And it's like, no, fuck you, dude. It's not funny. It's yeah. not funny what you did to people. At the time, Tom Cotton simply suggested it was a lab leak. Mm-hmm. The, a, a reporter from The Atlantic said he was a Soviet propagandist. Yeah. <laughs> Which is that? so hysterical because the Soviet propagandist thing, when you now think about the, the total alliance between China and Russia. Yeah. When it comes to Ukraine or everything yeah, else, right. like the, no, it doesn't even make sense. It, it, like the fact that a person like that whose brain is actually transferable to writing that people read I, is unbelievable to mm-hmm. me. Right. Like what a dumb fuck of the highest order, right? Mm-hmm. And this is a person who attacked a sitting United States senator who's on the Intelligence Committee, who I would argue is probably the most qualified human being to analyze intelligence. At that time and now. And Mike Pompeo at and, the time, and too. My, and Mike Pompeo. And he, he, he was in the same position as, as as Cotton. He was getting attacked every day because he merely made the suggestion that it was possible. Yeah. This was a lab leak. But, but also, like, just making the observation that, I don't know, so you're telling me that this thing originated in Wuhan <laughs> from bat soup at an open market... Uh, two blocks away from a virology lab, this is like a what do they call well, it? Level, level five, five or so, something yeah. like like the most secure, the most infectious diseases are studied at these sorts of labs. I don't know, I can't the remember if just, it's level five. Or, just so happens to be amidst an experiment on coronavirus, just a little coinky dink. It just seems very odd, yeah. right? And he raises this, and they 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 they, they went ham. Went nuts. They completely lost their minds. Um, another example, and, and this is why I wanted to make sure I included links and screenshots. This is a now retracted fact check from PolitiFact. Oh, uh, they boy. gave Tucker Carlson mm. uh, a guest a pants on fire for a, quote, debunked conspiracy theory that COVID came from a lab. That's the thing is at the time, their, their whole point is control. 
right? And and, and to ostracize anyone who disagrees with them. That's Wait, basically how let me stop works. you right there. They deleted that fact check. They're they, trying to. They're trying they to retract like delete. It. Yeah, the, they said archived fact. They archive it. They're not going to say that. Hey guys, we were wrong. Maybe we should take this as like a lesson going forward. They just archived it. <laughs> but, um, you, but but just for our listening audience, the reason why what Smug just said is so important is that our social media uh, companies around the country post 2016, when Hillary Clinton decided to ruin the internet. Yeah. Uh, decided that they are the arbiters of truth at some level. But they knew that that's not their business model. They knew that they couldn't like employ an entire agency of people to just decide what the truth is or not. So they partnered. They tried. They did try, though. Well, they did, they did try. But they partnered with a number of, quote, unquote, fact-checking Yep agencies yeah. right the politifacts of the world washington post and like the global disinformation index who's been yeah. used a lot lately. so when you give something a pants on fire rating it is unable to be shared widely on social media right they throttle that yeah because it's false information well it turns out it's not only not false information it's actually 100 percent accurate and and it was two years later that you find out all that's true well you know the uh, dictionary.com i think every year they do like a word or phrase of the year yeah and i feel like this year it has to be debunked conspiracy theory <laughs> like <laughs> just iron ironically make that the phrase of the year and, and i thought this this is also an important one so media matters which we know is essentially just a left-wing group that tries to ruin conservative organizations yeah Prevent or uh, conservatives from from having tries to bully online. the media into covering and things bu- and, bu- and bully their advertisers. Yeah. yeah. So Media Matters said that influential podcast host Joe Rogan spread an unfounded claim that COVID nineteen quote comes out of a lab in Wuhan. Still no correction on that one. I included the screenshot, and that's the thing is, don't you guys remember there was this like push from the left to get Joe Rogan removed from the internet, essentially mm-hmm. have yeah. his show Cause canceled because he, he asked a question. Employees at Spotify were going to, you know, walk out. Neil Young banned Spotify. From his music. Yeah. Dude, they put... But flags. he quietly they, put it back on they because put, he likes the money. They put they put COVID-19 flags on our episodes of on Ruthless. Our episodes. Yeah. On Spotify. Yeah. They did that. Yeah. Because we might be doing a, a debunked conspiracy theory. <laughs> Which is so... I mean, it's just so bizarre. But, but, but here, like... And this is a perfect reason why Steve is on this show, Krakauer is on this show, because this is what he examines in his book, is that we shouldn't be in a position... None of us are virologists. Right. Right? We should never be in a position to try to sort fact from fiction, except for the fact that we're forced to be because the mainstream media who has experts in these areas who are working with these scientists who are trying to understand how to purvey information that's you know quote unquote helpful to the american people are completely in the bag right and they all they do is carry a political narrative rather than the objective facts exactly and so a person who you would think would be an arbiter of truth the editor in chief of scientific american laura helmuth this was her tweet uh, this is from March 26, 2021. On CNN, former CDC director Robert Redfield shared the conspiracy theory that the virus came from the Wuhan lab. Epidemiologists and virologists are doing heroic and urgent work on social <laughs> oh media, God. debunking Jesus. everything he said. Thanks so much to them. She's got a nightcrawler in every crevice of her brain. <laughs> and, and that's the every editor-in-chief. Single one. 
Editor-in-chief of Science Uh, American. Can we talk Robert Redfield doesn't know enough because he doesn't say my politics. This is what's wrong with the media right now. I'm telling you. So can we talk for a minute? Because there's like a couple of theories about the motive here, right? For one, you could talk about a motive that has since been part of a public discussion that I think has a lot of merit about whether or not the NIH with Anthony Fauci overseeing a lot of this made the investments into trying to forward this research. The gain of function. The gain of function research. And if they were so scared of that coming out that they basically created this entire off-limits discussion Mm -hmm. that they tried to prevent any sort of like information from coming out. That's one theory. We had we had a, a guest on our show, David Sachs, very, very intelligent, very respected individual, uh, who was getting a lot of receipts that he was posting over the weekend of the efforts of Fauci and the NIH to make sure that no discussion would occur about gain of function, no discussion would occur about that lab in Wuhan. And especially in light of these latest revelations, it's just really fishy. But I'm trying but I'm trying to figure out, I mean, at its core, why? Right? I mean, well, I, I, this is, I mean, my theory on this is, I mean, it's pretty elementary. Usually that's the reason, you know? Yeah. But I think if it would have, if they would have admitted that it came out of a Wuhan lab in China, it would have absolved Trump of some culpability in its spread. I think, in, I think in, that's in, a good point. In the minds of people wow. and voters. Wow. So the media couldn't allow that to be the narrative. Because even, that, but even even if the grants came amidst his administration and overseeing the NIH, I don't know. And I, I mean, think, no, literally, I don't understand the logic. Would they would it have had to, sense. but then they would have had to argue against that also, those grants. And would they would the media have argued against those grants? Also, it's important to note that you, you know we've seen through a significant investment, China has gotten their claws into the World Health Organization. Yeah, they were tweeting that like, "Hey guys, this is weeks before it arrives in the U.S." The WHO is tweeting, "We have no." proof to show that COVID-19 can be transmitted from human to human. Everything is okay. You've seen uh, the Chinese government and its entities invest significant amounts in media companies in the United States, in universities in the United States. Harvard was getting called out this weekend for taking over a billion dollars from and, the Chinese government. And Joe, and Joe Biden's think tank, and he happens to be president of the United States. That's the thing. Is So I imagine China itself didn't want to be put in a position where it was held accountable for what well, they did. Oh, I'm sure, is, I'm this sure is that's the point. case. And if they've got every institution in this country over a barrel because they're all paid up, mm-hmm. what I, uh, that, is, that is a very disturbing possibility. What I, what, what I don't understand is on, on the issue of, of gain of function, I understand this is controversial or whatever, but... <clears throat> controversial just means we're going to find out it was all true. Well, no, we, no, no, <laughs> no well, what, what, what I'm saying is... I think in 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 a vacuum without information and education to the American people, people can say whatever they want, and I don't think that's good. And, and like I I assumed we did gain of function research like on the flu, like constantly. Yes, I thought, I thought that's something we do. As well, a, no, that's as what a the country, flu right? shot is. Right, like you're trying to predict what comes that's next in what the flu. The flu shot is. Yeah. Right, but the point is, you're supposed to do it in a very secure, contained environment, so you can predict how a virus might mutate. Like that's something we do in virology all the time, right? Right. But 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 because they hid the ball on this for so long, now people are like, "There's there's motives here." You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, no. You also get that that class of lawmaker who's like, "No gain of function." Well, this and and you're like, okay, well. 
let's hit pause on the gain of function piece of it because if you take the words gain of function out and you just look at what it is that this thing does, you have researchers that are attempting to figure out how viruses mutate over time that could have massive problems create pandemics across the globe. I oppose but, it. I oppose it. What, yeah, no, no, but, no, but, I mean, but 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 what you just said is exactly the the problem, right? But the whole this is all it's a solution. But a lot of this came out of SARS, right? Because like like we were we were not prepared for what happened with SARS, right? And and so. I assume China was stu- in this Wuhan lab was studying those coronaviruses that cause respiratory infection and were trying to mutate the virus to anticipate how it might show up again. Right. Those, I mean, what right. Are, what, like, are lawma- one thing what are lawmakers I- supposed to do? I mean, they they hear about gain of function. They do have questions. They're getting questions from their constituents. And that's my point. And two right. and a half years ago, remember when Rand Paul asked Fauci some yeah, basic questions no. right. about gain of function, and everybody was like, "Oh, Rand Paul, how dare you ask these questions well, and that's about what, gain of and, function?" And that's what I just made fun of. Them. Right. That's what I'm saying. Is like if you were he's if a you doctor. Just, if you just leveled with the American people right. and explained to them how this work is done people would understand but that's the thing is the left does not want but they thinking. right the they left don't abhors individuals being able to look at the facts and draw their own conclusions they want to be able to control the conclusions right. independent of the facts right. right so it's completely counterfactual or completely against everything they stand for to allow individuals which is the whole reason thinking. why us on this podcast have to talk about things like gain of function rather than having people out there telling us the truth about it yep. yeah at the early stages of this pandemic and we all could have understood that and processed it instead we've had three years in the fucking dark for no reason other than make out Anthony Fauci a hero. And and, yeah. and, and, and I always recommend folks go back and see this because it's still on YouTube. There was a front line about the origins of COVID. They talk about China's, uh, after SARS, what China tried to put out to the world, an apology and saying, hey, we've learned from this. We've put in protocols that if we start seeing an infectious disease like this, like a coronavirus or anything, we will alert the world. We'll get the genome of the virus out there for all the scientists to see. And every step along the way, the Chinese government, they have a timetable by the day of exactly what happened when the when the outbreak began. Yeah. China did everything. The Chinese government did everything it could to block to, access, to block any yeah. access to information, to deny everything to every other government yeah, on well, the planet. That's clear. And so I think in light of all of this, the question also becomes culpability. Mm-hmm. Like China's going to have to have severe consequences. But at the same time, so my conspiracy theory on all this is the timing of it. Why is it only now? That this kind of information is allowed to get out. That the, if the uh, energy uh, post balloon is that what you're saying? No, I post midterm. I think it's it's over the past week how you're hearing all this news about how China's now looking like it's going to start helping Russia out in that conflict. Well, mm. one thing that this administration could do to help garner support is say, "Hey, look, these are bad actors." They actually Wait, did it. Hold on, this is this is Ukrainian. This is, this is my pitch. That's my conspiracy. That's hilarious. Oh. Watch, it's going to be the truth. <laughs> In two years, tomorrow, we're going to wonder why we silent smug. Tomorrow, t- tomorrow Media Matters is going to say that comfortably smug 100%. shared a debunked conspiracy theory that China's going to be helping Russia in Ukraine. Well, they are. I mean, that, that, that the truth of the matter is, and what's not discussed, again, in the mainstream media or anywhere else, is the fact that China has thrown in with Russia yeah. on all of this. And, and they have blocked all and any transparency into the origins of COVID. And so, I mean, do you guys recall two years ago when um, the Biden administration issued a report, a definitive DNI report, 
on the origins of COVID. I remember. And they threw up their hands and they were like, I don't know. <laughs> I remember that very clearly. Can you imagine the audacity of somebody who runs that organization to be like, yeah, we looked into it. I'm not sure. What? Well, I mean, could you imagine a detective anywhere in this country, even for like a, like a, you know, like an abduction or a murder or whatever, and they're like, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, no, Columbo wouldn't have stood for it. <laughs> so Matlock is I, rolling over in his grave. I, I have to, I have to read this real quick because we're having a reaction, obviously, to this news and what we thought was obvious to us a long time ago. But it's, I think it's very interesting. It's a good look at the like your classic liberal id uh, to see how they're processing this information mm-hmm. and way of absolving themselves of responsibility for lying to people and being so smug about it for so long. This is great. This is from Boomy Leaks. If you don't follow him on Twitter, the guy's pretty funny. He's got some good stuff. Uh, he tweets, <laughs> uh, quote, why it was Trump's fault we weren't able to discuss this lab leak hypothesis. Who will write it first? And then he's got side by side. Do you know this uh, Jill Filipovich? She did opinion oh, yes. stuff in New York yep. Times and CNN contributor and stuff. Sure. I think she's a Substack now. This is her tweet. <clears throat> the best explanation I can come up with is that Trump's racist China virus bullshit. Oh, my God. Which resulted in lots of anti-Asian bigotry and attacks on Asian people put liberals understandably on defense. My God. Against any theory that seemed to blame China for COVID. My God. So now it's okay. Look, it's okay we lied to you because Trump was bad. Think about your... Your partisanship is so... It's ratcheted up so high. It's so high. (laughs) That you actually don't, an avowed adversary no. of the United States of America, you're willing to take their word for it right. over a domestic president. Well, and, they did, and they did time, time after time. Do you remember when China was putting up the obviously, obviously fake number of deaths? Yes. Like day to day? Yeah. And the, you've got all these think pieces about how China crushed COVID and yes. how they, they how did, they did it right and how we did it wrong. I mean, serious journalists were writing that story. Psychopaths. Complete psychopaths. While while we were watching people being welded into their homes. Uh-huh. Yeah. And they're like, you know what? This this authoritarian government, it's got some bad things, but it's got some good things but it's too. Got some good, some good but you know what? <laughs> you, you, you know what? It's, it's better than Trump. It's better than Trump. And that's why we need to lie to you because they're better than Trump and we know better than you. And objectivity is white supremacy. Yeah. And we're not even allowed to be objective anymore An- because another, our, our ideology matters so much more than objectivity. It, lay, it lays bare the fact that they were willing to to lie and admit that they would lie because they hated Trump that much. Another thing that doesn't benefit either side, nobody wants to talk about, so therefore it doesn't get into the public discussion at all, is the fact that China came up with a fully fake vaccine. Yeah, it didn't work at all. They came, <laughs> they came up with a fully fake vaccine, like fully 100%. fake vaccine. And they actually didn't open up. I don't know how many people listening to this actually know this. They did not open up their society until a month ago. Yeah. No, literally a month ago. Yeah. And it was only after the WHO and others intervened to get American vaccine manufacturers to provide vaccines to China that they got to a point where they actually opened the doors on things again. And meanwhile, there's been years of like, you see video that's been smuggled out of China of, I mean, it is just horrific. Horrific. Like they have like drones going around neighborhoods with loudspeakers saying that like everyone remaining in your house citizens 
you know, yeah. you'll face consequences if we see you out in it's the streets. Awful. It's like actual like science fiction nightmare yeah, they're, they're has been the reality of what's happening in China over the past But there's years. a bunch there's a bunch of domestic politics in China we won't go into on this that that go into all of that. But the point is that there has been a systematic effort in this country to entirely obscure, deny, and otherwise change the fact pattern about the origins of COVID mm-hmm. and how COVID is spread throughout this world and what its impact on this country and everywhere else. I mean, there just has. Mm-hmm. And, and and I think the, sca- the single, for me anyway, the single scariest takeaway I have about this period of time is not COVID at all. Mm. That it, that sucks, right? But you had the Spanish flu. You had the thing in the 60s. It was pretty similar. I think there was the thing in the late 70s, early 80s. It was, you know, terrible. We, we called it a bad flu back then. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's been elements of this for history. But we never had a government that worked systematically to ensure that information never got to its citizens. You're right. That, that, that it's is crazy. the scariest aspect of this whole thing. That's the scariest thing because then it opened up the Pandora's box into everything else and all of a sudden our eyes were wide open. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden you can see how kids are, you know, you always wonder why it is that you've got like a progressively different population of the learned learned facts that aren't real and it's but well you spend a couple of months with your kids and you look at what they're learning holy shit i can't i can't believe this right these are not actual facts so like this is in some ways for me the alamo of what this government has been doing for generations of Americans. Like I'm listening I to this it, entire. I hope it's the Alamo. I'm listening to this entire thing, and the, if there was like a thought bubble next to my head, it's like me working out the blueprints for a bunker in West Virginia. Yes, <laughs> like seriously, you know, that's my lesson like from I, COVID. Is like yeah, I the government to- <laughs> is is unbelievable what what they're willing to do, and that's half this country is willing to support them in doing. But but I will say this, I'm not where you guys are for the following reason. Unlike China, unlike Russia, unlike Iran, and a whole bunch of places around the world, you actually have a potential to change it. Like, I really, I genuinely believe that smart politics here and and seizing upon this inherent danger that we've now been totally exposed to gives us the opportunity to change government in a way that this cannot happen. This cannot happen if if you focus on the shit that matters. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And and I think we I think we blew past a lot of it in twenty two. I'd like to be that helpful. I mean, now I'm just especially in like with the discussion we had specifically with the way that China has in such an insidious fashion taken you know significant stakes in our media, in our university system, in our education system. And that the president himself and half his cabinet who were at that Penn Biden Center that got over, what, $10 million? Yeah, but they were all getting here's paid. The thing, what you've just laid out is a very scary proposition. But I believe in the American system, and I'm optimistic for what Holmes laid out, because there is a governor, and he is from Florida, and he looked at all of the pressure from the media and from the Democrats and from his own party, frankly, and he said no. And he kept his state open. And everybody in his state is flourishing because of it. Was well, it open I, the entire time? I know this is going to be 
like the, you know we're gonna have the, the well, horse race was every, it open the entire time? Well, everybody shut it down from the beginning, but but he and Kemp, frankly, from Georgia. Remember, yeah. Kemp took a ton of shit too. No, I remember. I still remember the article that uh, I think the title was Georgia's running an experiment on human sacrifice. Oh my yes, God, that yes. was like see, that was the, so insane. That was seriously the headline of an article. Yeah, about Kemp reopening Georgia. Yeah. yeah. These yeah, people and, are and sick. The, and the thing I like about what Brian Kemp did is he didn't see the headline of that article and say, Anthony Fauci, what do you think of this situation? He kept it open. Yeah. Ron DeSantis kept his state open. We have leaders in this country who will stand in the face of liberal media criticism and will fight back. We still have the capability is the point, right? I mean, look, it's easy to be dispirited about all of this because you've watched Republican and Democratic administrations deal with this in uh, some ways in indecipherable point of view. And, you know, you throw money at the problem, you tell people to stay home, you ruin businesses, you send people, uh, you know, their kids are, can't go to school, all that shit. And it's easy to say, like, well, this is, this we can't get, we can't come back from this. Like, this is, this is the worst. But then, again, like, you raise the issue of some people did it differently. That's right. Some people had a different experience. And then you look at There's nothing everything more. from test scores to economy on how things look now as compared to the rest of the country that did it a different way. And it's like it makes a difference. There is nothing more American than that. There yeah. is nothing than, than, like, than that. <laughs> there, yeah. there is. Yeah. They, they, you, you listen to the critics, you listen to the naysayers, and you're like, you know what? We're better than this, and you stay the course. That he, he is a man like DeSantis, Kemp. These, this, these are leaders, leaders with principle. These are the kind of leaders who actually will stick to their guns. Well, I guess that's the difference between governors and senators, right? Oh, <laughs> here we go. Here we go. Now, listen. It I think. There, I, it is, I, I think there's I think look in the end of this with the benefit of hindsight there is a ton that you would change but again the most insidious pieces of this the active effort to ensure that known truths today were prohibited not not discouraged prohibited from being discussed at the time is something that you need to you need to get on as a country because if you don't if you don't fixate on that first amendment if you don't fixate on it it fucking goes away and if it goes away that's the only thing that changes this country from everywhere else in the world yeah it really it really is like if if you actually cannot speak your mind if you cannot speak truth to power if you have fear of repercussion from your government by speaking a truth there is no difference between this place and everywhere well, else. and you know what that what makes us unique is that we have a vote but what voters like regular people like us are hoping for is that when you cast your vote you're selecting someone who when nobody is looking will stick up for you will stick up for the things that they said they were going to stick up for. Think about how many people in this country feel like they have no voice. Think about the guys in East Palestine who are like, oh, the government doesn't care about me. Other parts of Ohio. When you cast your vote, you're hoping that when nobody is looking, the person you trust when actually not has your back. Yeah. When it's not when it's popular. Not popular. You know, yeah. I think we should go right to it. Because yeah. That's another big story. Yeah, so this is, we've talked a lot last week about East Palestine. And... Um, you know, the fact of the matter that Donald Trump got there before uh, anyone in the Biden administration was reprehensible. 
Um, but here's a CNN uh, follow-up. President Joe Biden told reporters at the White House Friday that he plans no travel to East Palestine, Ohio, and defended his administration's response to the train derailment that caused a toxic chemical spill there. At this point, I'm not, Biden said when he asked uh, whether or not he wanted to go. Um, why? Why doesn't he want to go? Yeah. He's a terrible president. He does not care about Ohio. I mean, like... That's listen, the truth? I, it's the truth. Continue telling the truth, Ashbrook. This is the... He's a terrible president. He doesn't care about the state of Ohio. Ohio didn't vote for him. Therefore, he doesn't care about Ohio. He doesn't... He never... He never cared but this about is the thing. Ohio. This is the thing you were talking about last week about how if they have a problem in a certain state... Like, first of all, if this was a Democratic state, a blue state, with a majority-minority population... He would have been there day one. Mm-hmm. You know it. New York minute. You know it. But the fact of the matter is, is that he's given up on Ohio politically. And the only thing that he sees as a visit would accomplish is further highlighting his administration's incompetence. Yep. He knows. And rightfully, the story would be Biden finally shows up after Trump did. All he cares. <laughs> That's all, all that it would be. All he cares about is winning the nomination for for another four years. Nomination, not the election. The nomination. His rivals are many. We've talked about this on the show. One of them is Mayor Pete. Joe Biden has put Mayor Pete in one of the worst jobs that any president <laughs> could ever put a rival in, and he sent him to East Palestine because he knows Mayor Pete is doing a terrible job. Okay, Mayor Pete shows up. Everybody crushes him. Because he's doing a terrible job. <laughs> he was wearing dress shoes. Uh, I mean, like the whole, the whole thing. thing. It was like an episode of Veep. <laughs> yeah, but, no, you know what really reminded me of Veep was when he was doing the presser, and he said, "I lost my train of thought." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I it was saw like that. something and, straight and, out of Veep, like a, as the credits roll, sort of thing. <laughs> think about think about how sick this is, because Joe Biden would rather have those optics. Mm-hmm then the people of East Palestine know that their president cares about them. That, wow. That's brutal. And it's true. I also think there's something hilarious in that. Like, look, I don't know if he's as sinister or not. I kind of think he might be. But but the idea that his sort of rivals within the Democratic Party for a potential renomination, Kamala Harris, for one, he's like, oh, you're in charge of the border. Right. No, and that's I, exactly what he And did. like Mayor Pete is like, oh, let's put this guy in charge of, I don't know, airplanes, trains, buses. <laughs> bridges all things that break on the road yeah we were we were joking we were joking about this before the show uh but like if you're the transportation secretary like at at no point is it a good idea for people to know your name (laughs) because because no one no one is tunes in to the five o'clock news and the news is department of transportation doing a bang-up job (laughs) everybody got home safe All, right. all the planes, all the planes landed on time. Everybody was driving fifty-five. <laughs> <laughs> like the only time is like, wow, we got lots of flights canceled. Right. What the hell? Right. <laughs> no, it's so true. It's the most thankless job. It's Poor. an interior offensive lineman job. Right, right. If you know their name, it's bad. They're giving up sacks. <laughs> And so here's the lesson. Joe Biden can't put a sentence together, but he knows where to put his political rivals. Yeah. Yeah. It's true. Yeah, that's hardcore. This quote is, so it says, uh, you know, we were there two hours after the train went down. Two hours, Biden said. I've spoken with every single major figure in both Pennsylvania and in Ohio. And so the idea that we're not engaged is just simply not there. And initially, there was not a request for me to go out even before I was heading over to Kiev. So I'm keeping very close tabs on it. 
We're doing all we can. Right after he says the idea that we're not engaged, he completely changes the subject <laughs> to give himself a pat on the back. Like, yeah, I went to Kiev. You guys hear about that? Can we talk about that, guys? Unbelievable. Yeah. It's just, it's one of those things that is so horribly managed in this administration. I mean, every the border is just a, look, it encapsulated much of 2022 mm -hmm. in that you had this rampant problem and it's still going on by the Continues. way it's just it's just, it's just you know not in the headlines that that was so obvious to everyone in the american public and they just refused to discuss it in fact they said many of their candidates said well it's not a problem it's not a problem yeah there is no border problem right right so he, like i think he thinks that okay well how many people are really going to give a shit about east palestine that's his hope Right? Can you believe that? That's really what he's banking. I, I really kind of think that that's basically what their their modus operandi is behind the whole thing. We'll deal with something else next week. That's their plan. <laughs> you know what I mean? But now it's been a month, and it's still there, and it's still a problem, and there's still health issues. People are not forgetting that stuff. I saw I saw a video. Uh, I saw like a mini documentary. There was a reporter who went out there and was talking to folks, and uh, this mother that they spoke to. Uh, wakes up at like 3 a.m. or something with just like she said it smelled like chemicals that it, so strongly that it woke her up. Ugh. She goes and checks on her kid who's like having convulsions. Oh no. And just has like a look of terror My in her God. eyes. Oh, and man. She can't help him. And so she's like, I, I grabbed him. We've got to a hotel that's like 20 miles out of town. And all we've been told is it's safe. Come home. Come the on. government's telling them, oh, you know, it's fine. Just come on back. Don't worry about it. Yeah. And she's like, as a parent, who would do that? Oh, man. It's just, it's awful. We're going to keep an eye on all of that because it's just, it's, it's, it's terrible. You guys want to get in some election stuff? Absolutely. The biggest election of 2023 reaches its final sprint. This is according to Politico. Millions of dollars are, flow, are flowing into the Wisconsin Supreme Court race as state rockets towards an election that could decide the future of abortion rights redistricting and more in the key battleground state and if you recall guys wisconsin has played a very critical role in both the 2020 and 2016 yeah. elections Win winning wisconsin is how trump basically destroyed the blue wall that hillary clinton counted on to win yep and they never and they never even imagine that they could lose it she never went there. she never went to wisconsin she never went there <laughs> it's the funniest part of her book though after 2016 <laughs> was was all the analytics people and this is, this should have been like a sign that nobody wanted her to be president but they were like when we run an ad in wisconsin your numbers go down <laughs> like people people fucking hate you <laughs> That is hilarious. That is so brutal. They're like, keep it off air. Yeah. Keep it off air. They're like, this lady, I hate her. I mean, it, uh, yes, it, it makes sense. So the court is a 4-3 conservative majority of one swing conservative just, justice who is broken with the rest of the ideological block on some major cases. I hate when that happens. Uh, yeah, I know. You, uh, we all do. We all do. It's kind of a, it's, we call it the Roberts. <laughs> Uh, and April 4, the election could flip that dynamic to a liberal-leaning majority. The contest is poised to be the most expensive in state Supreme Court race in history, with a major outside groups, particularly 
those focused on abortion rushing in funds. The previous record was over $15 million for a state Supreme Court. Jesus. Uh, that was in Illinois in 2004. Much bigger state, obviously, with the Chicago media market than than uh, Wisconsin, according to the Brennan Center, Center for Justice. In Wisconsin, $10.4 million was spent on advertising alone in the run-up to the primary, according to data by AdTrack and the firm Ad Impact. That's a big look. That's a big election, guys. That is a big election. Yeah, I mean, you got redistricting in a key swing battleground state. I mean, I guess I'm not surprised. Like, you know, we saw a little bit of this back, you know, when Obama was president. Um, you know, back in uh, in in 2010 mm-hmm. and with the recall, the Scott Walker. Yeah, thing. the Scott Scott Walker thing. Um, it seems like Wisconsin is is still this sort of like laboratory for these sort of proxy war fights that we have at the national well, it's level. A good, it's, yeah. a, it's a big test on the life issue mm-hmm. in particular because Wisconsin has been an economically populist state for a long time, right? Yeah. It's it's elected people like Russ Feingold, who's yeah. like literally off the charts in yeah. terms of his, his views on economic policy and the rest. But socially, it's maintained some level of conservatism. Right. Mm-hmm. And so you look at this now and it, it looks to me from the outside looking in like it's a referendum on abortion politics in a state that is much more evenly divided than most mm-hmm. on the on the question of abortion. Yeah. Right. I mean, maybe I'm wrong about that, but that's that's what it seems like. The election. Uh, this is a couple of quotes. It's off the charts, said Ben Winkler, the chair from the state Democratic Party. It's off the charts in terms of its stakes. It's off the charts in terms of how much money will be invested by both sides. It's off the charts in terms of the number of people who are voting. Um, also, you know, look, if they have a big turnout, it pro- probably provides a pretty good map for how significant that state's going to be in the 2024 election. Yeah. I'll remind listeners, not only do we have that as the key, one of the major keys in the presidential election, but they also have a, 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 a Senate race. Yeah. That is Tammy Baldwin, the first openly gay member of the Senate, uh, who is, by the way, a left-wing lunatic. Yeah. Um, uh, it's wild that we got Ron Johnson and Tammy Baldwin. I mean, it's I, you couldn't have a chasm. That's wild. That, that's, that's, that sort of encapsulates Wisconsin. Exactly, yeah. right? So that's why this is in here. That's why this is, this is sort of fantastic to to watch and see it's april 4th so we're like i don't know what six weeks away that's it right incredible there. incredible all right we're keeping our eyes on that um boys i know we should probably have angry redskins fan in to to rant on this uh but do you see the reports in nbc about uh jeff bezos buying the commanders yes it's hilarious uh various publications are currently engaged in a game of one-up over whether or not the presumed buyer of the Washington Commanders has been blocked from making a bid. On Friday night, the New York Post repo- uh, reported that Amazon founder Jeff Bezos had been benched from bidding on the team. On Saturday, The Athletic reported the Bank of America, which is handling the sale, has informed Bezos that he's out. <laughs> so The Athletic also reported that Bezos has been prevented from bidding on the team, quote-unquote, for months. So Dan Snyder, 
who is direct, the owner. Yeah, direct male entrepreneur. Many who, people say highly respected owner. <laughs> <laughs> Many people say. Very few people. <laughs> Many few people. Hmm. Many few. Many such people. Uh, he's been in a shitload of trouble for all kinds of different things. He's got to get rid of this team. <laughs> he's that got- organization is just such a mess that like I support horrible things for it. <laughs> like, I love if they have like an owner who's letting that place just go to absolute hell. Like if it always sounds like a smoldering wreck over at that football team, it makes me happy. Especially with all like the Redskins fans are just like always angry about being sad. So it's always great to make them angrier, right? So I enjoy this news. Like there will be no change. The misery's going to continue. I think they should move the stadium further from Washington <laughs> DC. <laughs> well, here's the best. So the problem, here's the problem. The problem continues to be that the basis owns the Washington Post, which curiously has been silent on whether Bezos has been blocked by the by buying the team. Uh, most recently the Washington Post reported that Bezos hired an investment firm to evaluate a potential bid. Uh, it implies that Bezos has been told not to make another bid and that Dan Snyder apparently hates the Post so much <laughs> that he does not want to sell the team to the guy. I, that's a man Regardless of, of the fact that's that, a man of principle. So, right so, wow, right? He's like, actually, I hate the Washington Post. You get nothing. May, <laughs> may I propose a double switch? <laughs> okay. We, Dan Schneider gets the post. Schneider gets the post. <laughs> Bezos, get out of here. Bezos gets the commanders. <laughs> that would be a good trade. That would can be you, hilarious. I want, I want Snyder to bring his toxic management to the Washington Post. Yes. The, the people working there deserve the leadership of Dan Snyder. No, there's going to be a lot of gender equity changes. <laughs> yeah. I'll tell you that much. The, the idea of Jen Rubin having to report oh. to Dan Snyder would be hilarious. Taylor Lorenz? Yeah. But oh. but then also, like, look. Great Jeff, idea. Jeff, I support this. Jeff Bezos, if he owns the Commanders and you're up in the nosebleeds, do you think he'd get one of those Amazon drones to deliver your beer? Oh, see, maybe. <laughs> because if that if that's on the table, I'm all for it. I mean, honestly, if I'm a Commanders fan, which I'm not, decidedly. But if I'm a Commanders fan, I would love Bezos to own this team because it's it like you know the guy's got the cash to make it competitive, and he's probably gonna do some cool shit like you just suggested with the stadium. Yeah. It's been it's been a rough go for Bezos. I mean, the guy he, he lost his wife, he oh. lost the title as the richest guy. Now he can't even bid for the Redskins. Like, oh, no, man, but what's I, the point? Look, <laughs> if I'm if I'm all Je- that money and it's not even worth it. If I'm Jeff Bezos, <laughs> can't even buy a shitty team. <laughs> <laughs> if if I'm Jeff Bezos. And, you know, I've had the Washington Post for a number of years now. I, I know how shitty the news business is. I'm sure he's looking for an escape hatch yeah. to get out, out oh, from yeah. under it. So the trade. So he gets like to the sell trade. the Post and buy the Commanders? Yeah, do yeah. it. I mean, it makes sense. I just don't know if it's going to work out. Well, I don't think, look, I don't, I I just don't think Snyder's going to have a choice because the other owners in the league hate him so much yeah. that he's either going to sell it or they're going to take it from him. Yeah, I know. I know. I think he's on borrowed time for sure. Do you guys want some animal news? Always. Yes. All right. So there's a woman. This is according to NBC <laughs> News. I just read it. <laughs> so, so there's a woman in Anchorage, Alaska, recovering from her injuries after she was kicked in the head by a moose oh. while walking her dog last week in a oh. shocking moment captured on video. If you guys haven't seen this video... <laughs> 
Bro, how does a moose kick someone in the head? Dude, have you seen the That's video? No. Was she behind it? So she's just walking, right? There's snowbanks everywhere because it's fucking Alaska, for crying out loud. And she's, she's walking, and there's somebody in a car who's filming this thing. Mm-hmm. And you can see this moose trotting, out, trotting along, right? It's got like a, I would say like a thoroughbred kind of trot. It's mm-hmm. not running by any like stretch. Like a canter? Yeah, like it's a, a canter. Can, like a canter. Oh, just saw the video. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like a canter, right? And and the person is like, hey, hey there's, there's a moose. <laughs> <laughs> the guy taking the video? Yeah, they're like trying to like alert the woman with their dog. Yeah, this person's riding a shotgun coming. in a car filming this. Yeah. And then the moose like doesn't slow down at all. It's it, I imagine As, the, these are like plowed sidewalks where okay. there's basically probably nowhere for the moose to go uh-huh. if it wants to walk down the sidewalk. It's not going to jump in the... No, but here's the thing is, so like... I've seen this video. The moose doesn't like... This is not like a trampling or anything, right? The moose does like a jump kick. Dude, this is like... like the moose takes to the air and then like front it's like left pop, hits it in the head. Hits this, the lady in the head. This moose is as graceful as Saquon Barkley <laughs> doing a hurdle. It's an impressive jump kick. But it hits her right in the head. Yeah. Like it went right for her. Oh. Like it, this wasn't just... The moose wasn't trying to get by. Yeah. Or wasn't threatened. No. It was like, wouldn't it be fun to do a jump kick? So treat... <laughs> Tracy Hansen and her dog Gunner were walking the usual route that they take at least three times a day. Gunner's a good name for a dog. Pretty good one. Yeah. She walks it three times a day, too. Jeez, that's a good dog. In that the, cold? The, the moose knew. That's a good dog. The owner. moose is yeah, studying her it. habits. Stalked it. <laughs> Uh, when she thought, uh, when she was suddenly knocked to the ground uh, Thursday during the incident, I thought someone had not been paying attention and hit me with a bike or something, Hanson told. So she's alive. Yeah. Uh, which that, is... I mean, it's a brutal jump kick. I had uh, to put my hands on my head, and I'm like, I'm bleeding. Uh, it was only when she looked up and she realized that she'd been kicked by a large moose that she and her dog had walked past earlier. Okay. All right. You walked All past right. the moose? Yeah. All hey, guys. Right. Guys, can I, can I stop? Walks over. Yeah. <laughs> no, can, can I stop you here? Can I stop you here and okay. remind you of a... The great Warner Herzog. Yes. Who, yeah. if I could quote, nature is vile. <laughs> okay. These animals aren't thinking of you. The only people who think of... An- the only the Animals don't think of people. Only people are dumb enough to think of animals. That's the truth. The people for the ethical treatment of animals is an abomination. <laughs> we need the people and, for the ethical treatment of people. And here's further proof that it's us versus them. The dog does nothing to warn her. Nothing. Nothing to warn Like a dog, you'd think, would be like, oh, hold up, there's a moose on the way. The thing had been walked three times a day, you'd yeah, think it would yeah. be a happy dog. Like, hey, take care of your purse. Seriously. We, we He's all, like, get her, moose. We all know this. <laughs> Set we up all... the jump kick. It's like teeing <laughs> off for a kicker. <laughs> we all know this. We all know this. This is why I'd like to quote Warner Herzog one more time, the great document documentary maker. I believe the common denominator of the universe is not harmony, but chaos, hostility, and murder. <laughs> it's true. These animals want to kill you. Yeah. yeah and I, I believe that's from Grizzly Man. It is. Uh, when he looks in the eyes of the bear and he sees indifference. Mm-hmm. That we like to think of these animals as our friends. They are not. But they are not. No. They are not. They do not have that mode. No. Right? Uh, it seemed, here's a quote, uh, it seemed unprovoked from our standpoint, and it happened so fast. It was just like a matter of getting her out of the situation, getting her help, and making sure you know. My big thing was that she didn't have a head trauma 
and that there wasn't a bleed or something. This is the person who took yeah. the video. Um, so, so let's yeah, just they, the, shout out to them because usually, you know, whenever you see a chaotic video on the internet, you're like, no one stepped in or whatever. These people were shooting the video and then they like ran, grabbed her, put her in the car and took her to hospital. Mm. And they also sent the video out. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I look at the clicks. They're, yeah. they're like, dude, this is sweet content. Yeah. <laughs> Good on good on them for looking out, but I mean, I hope the guy in the car behind him shot the moose. <laughs> I really do. I don't this, think this moose had any ill will at all. I think it was the, indifferent. I, it was indifferent. The moose was stepping over her like we might step over an ant. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was. I mean, this was a jump kick. This is super impressive. I didn't know moose have have these moves which is wh- which is why you need to send a message to the animal kingdom. That's if the thing you is, like, passing was there, one of these was there a things? posse put together to get this moose? Like no, I think this is that. I think this is kind of a regular occurrence in Anchorage. They put up with that, yeah, bro. How do people in Alaska get this soft? I, I, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> if Alaska, you're gonna let if, a moose do if, this? If Alaska is soft, what does that say about the what rest of us? What does that say? What does that say? That Fellas, thing, that thing would be covered in vinegar only. and smoked and pulled. You'd have pulled moose in North Carolina. Yeah. That doesn't go down like that. <laughs> <laughs> People would be arguing about the best way to prepare 100%. it. 100%. Is it North Carolina? Is it Kansas City? That's what's is it happened. Memphis? That's it. Pulled moose. <laughs> uh, but there's another one. There's a helicopter cow hunt. Uh, New Mexico, now feral cows have been culled by helicopter shooters. This is according to Reuters. Authorities uh, have approved a plan for shooters carried by a helicopter to kill dozens of feral cattle, damaging habitats and menacing hikers uh, in New Mexico's Gila? Yeah. Wilderness. Uh, the U.S. Forest Service says this week. I mean, this makes sense to me, right? How, how does this, how the hell does this happen? Like, I'd read this interesting thing when, uh, uh, so I recently, well, it's been almost a year now, went out to Colorado, and uh, there's, in, in the middle of Denver, it's crazy, there's this, like, bison preserve where you can see, you know, you drive through this park, and they will well, walk I, right up to your car. I saw your video. Yeah, like yeah. a massive damn bison was right there. And then one of the like little things that they have for you to read said that like ninety eight percent of bison in the country have cow DNA because like sometimes you have a bison that'll run over to like you know when ranchers have their cows well, that are moving but like bang a cow but yeah is <laughs> a result of that there's now <laughs> these like feral cows is there like half bison cow like I'm interested in the whole story behind this because like normally you think okay uh, someone's cow ran away get them back to the farm there's apparently enough that it, so it's actually the four day cull. Due to begin on Thursday, we'll target about 150 stray or unbranded cows that environmentalists say destroy the ecosystems. Wow, for the first time, they're on everyone's team. Yeah, environmentalists. Environmentalists finally figured it out. Uh, you uh, have to kill the animals. If you, yeah. if you read down the article, though, they also blame climate change. Oh, okay. You knew it. You yeah. knew it. Yeah. I mean, look, this is, you got to be on your toes. Well, no, look, I, I, I hate this story. <laughs> and this is why I hate this story. Cow is good meat. You're going to shoot it just from a helicopter. What if this is Black Angus? What? You're telling me you're not going to get on the ground and harvest that thing? Wait, 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 are some wait. of those like Japanese Wagyu cows? Did did anybody, wait, did wait. anybody say that they're just like letting it go? Yeah, no, yeah. Wouldn't you, wouldn't you just assume you, you, you shoot it, you land, you clean it, you eat it? That's not a humane way to take down a what? Cow. What the? Are hell? you kidding? Humane? <laughs> you want You're to worried cl- about being humane yeah. toward an animal that wants to kill you? <laughs> are well. you kidding me? They're saying kill that these it, are dangerous. And no, eat it. No, give I wa- it to the homeless. I wanna, they could use something to eat, Michael. I want a clean shot. 
and I want to walk away with two thousand, three thousand dollars worth of cow meat. You got steaks there, man. You got you got rib roast. You know what you sound like? You sound like the woman got trampled by the moon. That's exactly <laughs> right, like, dude. No. You're worried about making money for yourself. We're talking about feeding the homeless. <laughs> We're talking about using the meat for good. <laughs> it's an outrage. You're going to strafe the thing with so many bullets, it's unedible. No, no, no. No, no you can eat it. You're, no, you're, you're from a, bullets out. You're shooting, <laughs> shooting from a helicopter with what? 50 cows, bro. 50 cows. Yeah, you're going to 50 cows. You don't even side. have to butcher it. It's got the pieces ready to go. <laughs> yeah, Jerky's pre-made. Right? You, you get down there and it's, it's ready to eat. <laughs> RTE, they call it. <laughs> You accidentally bite into a bullet and you spit it out and laugh and yeah. you know that's how this came to me. There you go. You that, say thanks. You see the food chain right there. All right, so the last story we've got for you after the animal stuff is something that's quite perturbing. And it actually fits into our interview and our discussion of COVID mm-hmm. earlier on, uh, changing the books we read, right? According to the Washington Post, as criticism mounts, Ronald uh, Roald Dahl's publisher offers messy compromise. News broke uh, last week that in the latest editions of Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, Matilda, and other doll classics, hundreds of changes have reportedly been made to align his language with modern standards of inclusion, diversity, and accessibility. Terrific. Oh, my God. After a week of international uproar about these fixes, uh, Dahl's publisher is now hoping to change the narrative again. On Friday, Puffin uh, UK announced that it would release the original text of Dahl's stories as a separate classic collection (laughs) alongside its newly updated editions. A spokesperson for the publisher said that by making both versions available, quote, we are offering readers the choice to decide how they experience Ronald Dahl's magical, marvelous story, and and they're doing that because they know what's going to happen is any bookstore that carries the classic edition is going to get picketed, called bigots, and they're going to not carry it. So this is exactly like the the modern left in a nutshell. Like we discussed, how they tried to stop any discussion about the lab leak. They can't allow for anything to go against their narrative at this moment. But there's but, also there's also an erasure of of the progression of culture and that's like sort of what bothers me most when we're talking about like like let's just take it to its core right almost all of this stuff maybe not in this in this book but almost all of it deals with the issue of race in america and how we have dealt with this over time and what standards and norms have been acceptable over time and how we've progressed over a period of time to become more like genuine inclusive culture right but you can't actually win this battle if you erase the progress that's been made over time yeah you really can't because you don't understand or appreciate yeah how far we've come how far we've come yeah and and that's what they're doing here what they're doing like when you read huck finn you're not reading huck finn literally as a story where like they drop n-bombs and thinking oh my god like i can't believe that you know what and i now identify with people who dropped n-bombs right what you're doing is reading it in a way it's like wow i can't believe 
that was the culture back then. Right. I can't believe they, that it, we've made so much progress. Well, it, it, and it inspires you to right. continue to do that. That's exactly the problem is they're denying people the, abil- the ability to gain perspective by reading mm-hmm. old books, right. basically. They want everything to begin in the year 2023, it, which is just a denial of history. What I, Might I suggest, though, I'm okay with one change to Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Wait. And I appreciate I appreci- <laughs> I appreciate that they said Charlie and the Chocolate Factory and not Willy Wonka in the cho- in the Chocolate Factory. A lot of people make that mistake. But what what oh, hold yeah. on hold on there's one there's oh. one there's one thing I would like to change. Okay, what about is that classic tome, if you will. Wonka scrum diddly umptious? No, no. <laughs> Charlie's grandpa. You liked Willy's Wonka. You don't like no. Grandpa Joe? Grandpa Joe is a freeloading hippie who sat in his bed for 50 years, finds out his grandson's got a golden ticket, and suddenly he can walk again. Yep. I always hated the grandpa. Welfare king. He, he should not be allowed to go to the chocolate factory. He never... Change that book. He... I hate thing, like, he like should be Michael... A, he should have been in a debtor's prison. Michael. That guy freeloaded off his entire family. They're poor. They're eating gruel every night. He doesn't get off his ass and get a job. <laughs> But he can he can get up for this. He can get up for the chocolate factory. Oh, I can go on a vacation. I've had such a such a hard time laying in bed for fifty years. And what's hilarious is he always gives Charlie bad advice. Yeah. when they're in there, he's like steal shit. Dumb. <laughs> what's an idiot? He's like just steal it, Charlie. Yeah. Come on. Grandpa Joe. He he never thought scumbag. his life could he absolute ne- scumbag. He never thought his life could be anything but catastrophe. Yeah. Okay. I knew you were always focused on Willy's Wonka. <laughs> This story continues though, and I th- so so this is this is what got my attention. It says this week, Ian Fleming's James Bond novels to be edited to remove material deemed offensive. It says following the news that edited versions of many of Roald Dahl's novels are being released to shield modern readers from language that was deemed offensive. The estate of another iconic British novelist is following suit, according to a new report in the Sunday Telegraph. New editions of Ian Fleming's original James Bond novels that omit offensive passages are set to be released this spring by Ian Fleming Publications. The report claims that Fleming's estate worked with, quote, sensitivity readers. That's like Sensitivity readers? That's the most horrific term. I want to be a sensitivity reader. How do I apply to be a job as a sensitivity reader? Because I think I've got some thoughts. It is a, my guess is it is a like, debunked conspiracy theory that James Bond got laid all the time. Yeah. And we are removing that from the books. <laughs> so it says the sensitivity readers will flag and remove what they see as language that reflects outdated attitudes about race. The republished Bond novels will include a disclaimer. This book was written at a time when terms and attitudes which might be considered offensive by modern readers were commonplace. A number of updates have been made to this edition while keeping as close as possible to the original text and period in which it is set, which is a complete opposite of the whole point. Dude, it, it just comes from a place of such profound narcissism. What do you think they're reading? things were created for you today. Yeah. They aren't. They aren't. They aren't. We're supposed to be able to just absorb things and, and accept that things were different at different times and be adults. But we're not allowed to do that because we're all coddled children we're today. We're becoming so dumb. It's so fucking stupid. And, and so, like, I saw this uh, Mark Andreessen when he tweeted out uh, about this. Um, and Ajit Bai had a really good point. He said, this is a direct quote. It says, every book has been rewritten. Every picture has been repainted. Every statue and street and building has been renamed. Every date has been altered. And that process is continuing day by day and minute by minute. That's from George Orwell, 1984. Oh, my. That's exactly what this God. process is. It's horrific. I, I genuinely believe, going back to the top of the program, when we were talking about what was done during COVID, and we're talking about now this and everything in between, that the greatest struggle we have as conservatives is to preserve the First Amendment. Bingo. 
I really genuinely believe that. And if you don't get that as a lawmaker, like I understand making political points and Hunter Biden and everything else, but if you don't dig in on this, what is it worth in the end? That's 100% it. All right, well, let's get to a, a really good commentary on all of that because I think he actually bling, brings a lot of this to light. Steve Krakauer. I want to welcome to the program a good friend of the program. He's the executive producer of The Megyn Kelly Show, but most importantly, he's also the author of an incredible new book you ought to check out called Uncovered, How the Media Got Cozy with Power, Abandoned Its Principles, and Lost the People. Steve Krakauer, welcome. Josh, thanks for having me on. Appreciate it. Listen, man, this is an important book for a variety of reasons. Uh, we're all on this show in particular, incredibly well acquainted with the bias in the media. But you, uh, having been someone who spent an inordinate amount of time in the media, both as a journalist and covering the media itself, have got a perspective that I think is incredibly valuable when we're evaluating how we got to this place. And that's basically your book. Am I right? Yeah, I, I think you're right. Yeah, you know, I I was in the media for for a long time, 2010 to 2013. I was at CNN uh, less than 10 years ago, and I think there was valid criticism of CNN from the time that I was there. Uh, you know, I, I write a chapter about CNN in the book, chapter six, including some stories that are really kind of give an idea about some of the bias I think that I witnessed as well during my time there. But overall, I think we all know for for decades there's been a kind of loose political bias of the press, especially the corporate mm -hmm. establishment press. Uh, but something really fundamental changed in the last five to seven years. And it's not as simple as saying that they bought into the political bias that they had before in an even bigger way, because it, it doesn't necessarily even cut across ideological boundaries. Uh, I write in the book about the way Bernie Sanders was screwed out of uh, his uh, primary in 2016 from the political side, but in 2020, just as much from MSNBC. Uh, mm -hmm. Or, or with COVID, I mean, we the the lab leak theory uh, is something I dig into in chapter five of the book, and that's something that I think I mean COVID in general was just covered in a disastrous way. But that's something. There's something more pernicious there. And sure, you know, Trump played a role in this in the way that Trump decided to talk about the lab leak as his preferred theory, and so by instinct, the media just went the other direction with it. But it also went into how people covered that or or clamped down on coverage of it and and allowing speech to get out there i i write uh, I, I interview in the book 26 people on the record um, from across the media industry fox news to washington post and new york times uh, msnbc and beyond and one of those people josh rogan from the washington post told me something that he's never uh, revealed before which is that when he wrote his book about china back a couple years ago he had an excerpt published in politico and that excerpt really dealt with the idea of a potential lab leak as yep, the cause of the covid pandemic that politico excerpt was banned from Facebook. It was taken down from Facebook. And he said, wait, what is a second? This has never happened to me before. And he reached out to his sources at Facebook and said, hey, guys, what, what's going on here? They unbanned it. And then they banned it again. And then they unbanned it. And it made him think, listen, I'm a, I'm a guy, I'm a Washington Post reporter. I, this is actual good journalism. I can go and talk to people at Facebook and say, hey, what's going on? And they can get it back out there. What does this do for the average person, though? And and look, I mean, this is just one example of the way that the, the anti-speech activists have have used tech censorship to their advantage to try to you know maintain that consensus but it really shows that even people like you know the josh from the washington post start to see how bad this is for the average american 
Yeah. And how much of this do you think? I mean, look, I, I spent, you know, the first probably 15 years of my career on the other side of this as a flack and working with journalists every day. And there's no doubt, as you made mention, that there was always a left-leaning bias, but you felt like at least uh, people were going to give you your side of the story. They may not, they may not lead with it and they may not front it, but they, they would definitely give your perspective. And you're right. Something changed along the way. How, how much of this do you think has to do with group think? And, and you, you talk about the geographic location of everybody basically working in the same place, socializing with each other, all sort of having the same lives. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I, I do think that there's always been this sort of, I call it a cell of media, right? New York and DC. I lived in New York for a long time, worked in, working in the media in that space. And there's a casual sort of group think that emerges. I, I think that that's very fair to say. But why has it gotten worse? Not just the, the isolation of the press uh, in, in more recent years, but I think also social media, the way that the group think can kind of congel in on Twitter, uh, you know, everyone is spending their time on Twitter, talking to each other, listening to each other. And I mean, everyone in the sense of everyone in the media and yeah. in the political establishment, not the rest of the country. So that so all of that is, is a factor also. Um, but I do think also that in November of 2016, there was this moment where the 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 general media member was so shocked. And I mean, people from the lowest level to the very top of every newsroom. And there was actually a point in time, I, I talked to Selena Zito, who essentially got hired by Jeff Zucker, specifically because she saw the Trump phenomenon coming and they didn't. And, and she describes how she was brought in front of the entire organization shortly after she was hired in, in the beginning of 2017 and essentially interviewed, what did we miss? There was this brief moment of introspection. But Almost within a snap, that was gone. Selena says, you know, she was essentially sidelined at CNN for years for the duration of her contract, just taken off the air entirely. There was no need for for any more introspection there from them. And and I had the same experience. You know, I I was an outsider. I lived in Dallas now, um, but I was so just stunned by the way the press really just just disastrous coverage when it came to the Trump administration, when it came to half the country. 2018, I I laid out an idea I had essentially like a, a you know, three page pitch to, and I called it all my favors. I went and met with the executives from CNN, ABC, CBS, just how can we fix some of these blind spots that apparently are, are here? How do you reconnect with a country that's lost trust in you and you've lost trust in what, what they're thinking? And they listened to me and then they obviously all passed. <laughs> I, I, I think that that uncovered was really a way to say, okay, maybe that they didn't listen then, but maybe it has to be a whole book. Uh, you know, and, and that's really what uncovered is and, and explaining the how and the why to how we got here, what we are. And let's at least as, as a country get on the same page because I think the press has such low trust in the people. And by extension, the people have lot, tr such low trust in the average corporate press. Well, that's what's so different about you, Steve, is that unlike a lot of us on this side, uh, you actually want the media to work. <laughs> there's, an, yeah. there's a lot of us who are like, you know what, just burn it all down and and we'll deal with information differently than we have previously. But, but you kind of have this profound reverence for the media and how it ought to work. And it seems like this is yet again, another opportunity for you to try to help people understand what, how they've lost their way. It is. I, I mean, I, I am, I'm someone who believes that we need 
a a strong press. I look, I love independent media. I mean, at the Beck and Kelly show, I think we're yeah. sort of independent media. You guys with Ruthless. I mean, th- this is great that we have podcasts and YouTube and Substack, so you can can bypass the gatekeepers. I think in a perfect world, though, we have both. So we have that independent media, but we also have strong institutional press that has massive resources that can can go into a, a story like East Palestine, for example, in yeah. a way that that you know, the average person can't, they can put the resources there. They can actually get government action. That's how it should work. Of course, that's not how it works, right? right? So often the stories that are most complicated that you would want a really strong, well-funded corporate press to, to dive into are the ones that they ignore. And yeah. the ones that they spend all the resources are the ones that are, that are easy, that are just, you know, what I call kind of glance journalism. It's just, you, you just tell a quick story. Uh, you know, Josh, I, I gave a story in the book um, about just what, just one example of just, it's not always this giant conspiracy. Sometimes it's just incompetence <laughs> and it's laziness and it's just stupid, you know, reporting. Uh, there, there was a story in, that CNN published about Congressman Ted Lieu, who's a real regular of green rooms uh, in, in DC, yeah. I know. And, and so the story was about January 6th and how he was hiding from the mob during the riot. And then he, he, as the story says, grabbed a crowbar from his office and then made his way out into the, to the, uh, to the hallway to, I guess, confront this mob like he was on The Walking Dead or something. Right. Uh, so a couple of hours, I, was like, I read this and I was like, this is odd. I, I just can't even imagine this happening. But, you know, it was a quadruple byline story. Obviously, editors had read it. Well, a couple hours later, there was a correction to it. No, Ted Lieu grabbed a pro bar energy bar and then emerged. <laughs> so it's like, no one thought that Congressman Ted Lieu just had a crowbar in his office and was about to go attack the mob or something. No, it was just a crowbar. It's just stupidity. It's incompetence. And so much of that that we see is, is happening, obviously, one direction only. But I, I really try to lay out these stories because I think it's important for the average American to understand that, you know, sometimes the Hunter Biden laptop story, you get this collusion and that's what happens. And then sometimes it's just incompetence. Mm-hmm. How much of it, one of the things I think make a little bit of a difference in some of this stuff is the collegiality amongst reporters themselves. And you know this because you know you've operated in green rooms, you've seen how people uh, work through things. I, I recall, you know, how CNN, the green room, it, basically everybody thought the same things, and if right. somebody didn't, they basically were, you know, sort of ostracized in the conversation. I, I remember thinking how stark contrast that was when I started doing a lot of Fox, and people were just kind of like, you know, had different takes and bantering around, seemed to be in a little bit better mood. But but th- there was something about the culture of some of these newsrooms that, unlike the the sort of foundation of journalism felt like they didn't want to or need to ask any deeper questions about the stories of the day. Uh, yes, I, I think that, you know, you notice that in your experience with, with places like, you know, CNN or others in the corporate media, it's not just CNN, you know, it's really across the board, ABC, CBS, NBC, there's a, there's a general group think I think that emerges a lot and it has been forever, but I really do think it's it's gotten significantly worse, yeah. uh, certainly during the Trump era, but even since then, um, because, you know, again, I, I think we see example after example in the, when it, in the COVID storylines, whether it's with masks or vaccines or, or, or the lab league, um, you know, anything uh there's there's no there's just a sort of consensus opinion that emerges on twitter and then it just becomes 
anything that that goes against that is is seen as like toxic. Yeah. Um, and and, and I, you know I've really tried to diagnose why that is, and and I do think that the social media incentive structure is such a huge factor in this. Yeah. Um, you know, before the fact that you can put something out there. And a reporter can maybe get a hundred or two hundred people retweeting them, saying, you know, loving this, and then then okay, what does that make you feel? It's like a drug, and then and vice versa. It, it, you could get 20, 30, 50 negative comments and it can feel like the walls are closing in on you on yeah. Twitter, right? And, and it's just so, so unrepresentative of what the average audience thinks. But I, I talked to Sharon Waxman of The Wrap, uh, who, a founder of The Wrap, about how she has seen with her own reporters the chilling effect of Twitter um, in making her reporters either cover something in a, in a certain way or not covered at all. I feel like they can't cover something at, at all because they, they fear the backlash that they might get from it. Amazing, and, right? I mean, that's just incredible to me. I know. And it and it's really we, we see this play out in small ways and in big ways. I mean, I spent a lot of time on the Tom Cotton op-ed fallout, yes. uh, the fiasco that happened at the New York Times there. And it, it's just it's so hugely important, I think, to to telling what, what the story is at the press because you were able to get a few lower level reporters in many instances go out publicly on on Twitter, say that a publishing a, a column by a senator put the lives of, of staffers in danger, which is completely absurd, but you were able to exert that pressure on your own bosses and get the opinion editor essentially pushed out, uh, James Bennett there, and, and other changes happen. And and so you you have that as, as one thing, but you also have reporters at the New York Times, uh, you know, in theory, objective reporters, literally saying that publishing speech is dangerous. It's that just publishing wild this to me. It's yes. just wild to me. I mean, just the culture yeah. of the newsroom itself has had such a dramatic shift. I mean, when I started in this line of work, your average reporter, and I think of a guy like Dave Espo, who used to be the national AP guy. I mean, I think, I don't know if he would admit to this, but I think he he basically relished the idea that everybody hated him, right? I mean, it was like, right. that was my job as a journalist. If there were people who actually liked what I do, I certainly wasn't questioning the the, the authority or the power the, of the powers that be, right? Yeah. No, it, 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 not very long ago. If you're doing a great job as a reporter, the public likes you but doesn't know your name, and right. the people in power hate you. That That's kind of the way it, it, it used to be if you were doing your job properly. Now, it's so easy for journalists to become, quote unquote, brands and build their brand right. and become essentially influencers on their own that's how they get their pub their public accolades and then at the same time there's not that that disdain that the the, the general corporate you know that the the elites have of them or their work because they are part of those same circles and so yeah it's completely flipped and and in a really negative way um and and again i mean that's why i i do hope that you know one of the the outcomes of the book is that you know i i lay out in the final chapter some some real potential changes small things that i think the corporate press can do to, to regain some of the trust of the public but it's really i i don't have high hopes that they're going to do that um <laughs> so what i really hope to do is that i don't think we need them you know we don't need them as part of the conversation if we can get as a public as a as a discerning media consumer if you can you know read this can understand where things were kind of lay it all on the table here's the truth it may not even necessarily like all of it but here's kind of what happened here's where we're at and then and then let's bypass the gatekeepers completely because we don't need them you know I, I think that the the independent press the other options are so strong these days power yep. has completely shifted we don't need the corporate press in order to actually make a difference in in informing a public 
Well, and somebody may make the change, right? I mean, somebody may see the opportunity and make the change. It's not certainly going to be all of them, but but I, I think one thing that you mentioned that that has definitely been an issue is these the social media following, the instant gratification, you know, the feeling that as though they're a star. But their social media following also tells a story about the subscriptions and the readership of the publication itself, right? And you look at the Washington Post and New York Times, for example, and went through this incredible boom during the Trump years. But they went through that boom in large part by adding subscribers that wanted to hear the next shitty thing you could say about Donald Trump ever. Right. right? And so like Donald Trump leaves the scene and all of a sudden those those publications begin to fade away to the extent that they're left with a base subscribership. It's certainly far left of center. And so. You know, there's a business issue there too. If you're going to actually try to cover things right down the middle, your subscribership, at least as it's currently constituted, is pretty problematic with that. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. You, when you when you you know go from democracy dies in darkness as a as a signaling opportunity on the Washington Post for you know hashtag resistance new subscribers. When you shift away from that, when Trump's no longer in office, it's going to be a mess as we've seen play out there. So, so yeah, absolutely. I, I think that is such a bad business model, but it really gets at something else that I, I've, I've write about in, in chapter nine, which is that there's a, this broken financial incentive structure. Uh, I look at it with someone like ESPN, New York Times, CNN. These were places that had a business model that there'll be ups and downs, but essentially it's always going to just print money. Uh, then suddenly, just because even if they were doing an amazing job of, of serving their public, every single day their business model is going to change. There's going to be less traditional audience because they're just finding different ways of getting their content. And then in this void, you get panic. I mean, ESPN, the drift that we've seen there, going from yeah. serving their audience to essentially you know, just just you know showing apparently a disdain for their audience. That that's happening every day, and it's because the the bosses are no longer making business decisions because the business model is just completely broken at this point. And so so yeah, in that void, when you when you have to worry about subscribers, when you're no longer trusting the way the business was operating before. Bad decisions get made, but also you're no longer trying to get a broad audience. You're no right. longer able to. So you just kind of grab onto the lowest hanging fruit yet you can and hang on for dear life in this fear of what's going to happen. I mean, look, we, we see this with places like BuzzFeed or Vice. I mean, these were, you know, strong upstart independent, you know, not, not independent, but strong upstart, you know, new digital brands that were being built. And they're just completely disasters at this point because they have nothing. They have nothing to hang on to. They never built anything sustainable except, except trying to, you know, ride the Trump wave and now seeing that they've, uh, that the wave is gone. Yeah, it's amazing. Well, the whole book is absolutely fascinating. Uh, people ought to read it. It's called Uncovered. Uh, Steve, I got, you know, I got three questions for you, right? All right. <laughs> so, so you get the same treatment as everybody else. And I know you've listened to this before, but I got to know what's your last meal on earth. Uh, I got to go with, um, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm in Texas now, so I just got to go with just a nice like New York strip steak. Uh, see that you're very Texan. That's great. Where, where are you from originally, by the way? I'm from New Jersey. You know, I, I, I grew up on the East Coast, went to Syracuse. And then nine years ago, I, I became an adopted Texan. And uh, uh, I love, I'm, in, I'm in Dallas now. Yeah. Living in real America. I love it. That's Maybe right. it gives you some perspective that's needed in this, this area of the world. <laughs> that's right. That's right. I tried to. All right. So it, this is good. I'm fascinated to hear your answer on this. If you never got into journalism, you never got into production, producing an author, and you just had sort of blue sky in your life to fill with it, 
whatever you want. What do you think it would be? I've I've thought a lot about this because I'm you know I, I knew I wanted to be a journalist to be honest. I mean this is so corny from when I was about 14, 15 years old. But yeah. the other thing I was always interested in was like starting a business, restaurant. I, uh, I've got I, I still have ideas. I, I at some point in my spare time maybe I'll, I'll start like you know fast casual or some sort of you know just just restaurant. Uh, but I've always been interested in that also. I'm a huge restaurant like kind of foodie and uh, and so I, I would love to go that route. I love that. That's a great answer. Um, all right. So, you know, the thrill of victory or agony of defeat for the benefit of our audience who may be listening for the first time. The thrill. The question is, uh, we view most successful people as either being motivated by the thrill of victory or the agony of defeat. And it's not that anybody loves to lose or, or hates to win. It's the motivating factor. And, right. uh, it, you know, it's it's the, the Michael Jordan comparison uh, of the agony of defeat person. That's the, the, the guy, every setback they've ever had in life, they wear it like a backpack uh, and they vow never to repeat it, which is what makes them work harder. Thrill of victory is the glass half full always charging up the hill. Steve, where do you find yourself here? It's funny. I, I am hardcore uh, thrill of victory. Uh, in fact, the first conversation I ever had with my now wife was uh, we, we started, we were working together at CNN at the time. And uh, she just said, you know, I'm you know, I'm just a, kind of a glass half empty person, you know, and she's definitely the opposite. And I'm like, I'm glass half full. And it was a nice yin and yang situation. But no, I'm I'm as as disappointed I am as I lay out and uncovered about all the things in the media. I'm still optimistic about that. Um, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm an optimist at heart. And so, so yeah. I was just going to sure. say for a guy who's seen the inside of the journalism industry and works with Megyn Kelly every day, if you can write a book giving people hardcore examples of how they can improve their line of work in journalism, you are the textbook dictionary definition of a thrill of victory person. <laughs> That's right. That's right. You know, despite the despite what I've seen, I I, I maintain the the thrill of victory. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Steve Krakauer, the book is uncovered. You've got to go get it. Steve, where do we get this thing? Yeah, no, I appreciate that. You can go to readuncovered.com, readuncovered.com, or find it wherever you get your books. That's awesome. Steve Krakauer, good friend of the program. Uh, we'll talk to you again very soon. Hey man, thanks for having me. You got it. Man, that guy is so good. And you know, I actually I ordered his book on Amazon uh, before, before you even before, knew. Yeah, before I even knew. Yeah, because I was expecting. You know, we I knew he was involved in Megan's show. I knew he had some really good things to say on Twitter. But the guy really seems to get it. Yeah, he, he seems to have a really good understanding of what's going wrong in the media. Hopefully, today. hopefully Jeff Bezos uses his cut to buy the Commanders. <laughs> <laughs> well, he has a very uh, Ashbrook view of the world and that you can actually figure out how to fix this stuff, yeah. which I, I know Smug does not subscribe to. It's too late. Only conspiracy theories can save us. <laughs> <laughs> but I got to say, absolute banger of an episode, gentlemen. Thank you so much, Steve Krakauer, for uh, coming on today's episode. And thank you so much to our listeners. We appreciate each and every one of you. So until next time, minions, keep the faith, hold the line, and own the lids. We'll see you on Thursday. Stay ruthless. 